0: are listening to moments in the word brought to you by lighthouse gospel ministries heavenly father thank you so much for this service for those who are gathered first service of the new year we faced a troubling year last year and only you know what lies ahead this coming year so teach us from your word this morning teach us to rest in you to dwell in you to abide in you in jesus name we pray amen psalm 46 in your bibles this morning psalm 46 Miss M- Wanda, we only use one book here for the preaching. That's the Bible, amen? <laughs> I know, I know. Psalm 46 in your Bibles this morning. Miss Wanda's ready to sing another song. She's going to, I think she's volunteering after the service to sing a song all by herself. That's what I heard. That's what I heard. Psalm 46. So we're going to read the whole psalm, verses 1 through 11, beginning of verse number 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah? There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice; the earth melted. The Lord of Hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come, let uh, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he hath made in the earth! He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth, uh, or he breaketh, breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of Hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. So I've been tasked this morning with preaching the first service of 2021. Uh, It's been said by many that 2020 was a terrible and trying year. Maybe some in this room have said it. I've said it at times. But I'm not sure how true that is in light of history. When you consider things like the Holocaust, the plague, the Great Depression, the Civil War, the Crusades, and the Inquisition, it's hard to call 2020 the worst year ever, isn't it? Uh, I I think it's more a testimony to how soft we Americans have become, right? How comfortable we're used to being, um, that we look at 2020 as being the worst year ever. Uh, I I don't really hold that view, uh, but if I want to be fair about it, I guess you could say it was the worst year of my lifetime, right? I'm, I'm turning 40 this year, so in the last 39 years, I'd say it may have been the worst year of the last 39 years, right? But not ever, right? It's not the worst year ever. Uh, but coming into 2021, how can we put last year into perspective? Uh, will this coming year be better, worse, or much of the same? We don't know the answer to that question, do we? We approach this new year completely in the dark. We we don't know what to expect. We don't know what's going to happen. January of the first service of 2020, we never could have predicted that 2020 would go the way that it did, right? And we can't predict how this year is going to go. So I'm hoping we can strengthen ourselves This morning for the year to come by looking at the scriptures for our encouragement. The first thing we need to establish and dig our roots into is the fact that God is absolutely sovereign. Okay. Without this truth, we are left adrift on a sea of circumstance. Okay. if we don't believe that God is sovereign, then we're just going to be stuck in the storms of our circumstances. Right. Wondering, is it going to be okay? Is it not going to be okay? What's going to happen? Fearful for what's going to come. I I had a a relative uh, a number of years ago during the um, I say the last president. It's hard because we're almost in transition to a new president. So President Obama, during his term, she was so stressed out over things that were going on in in America that she actually went into the hospital and thought she was going to die what that tells me is that this relative didn't have a firm grounding in a belief in the sovereignty of God. She was left on a sea of circumstance. She was left just trying to fend for herself, hoping that hoping that, that things will just work out. And, oh no, what's going to happen? Fearful of what's coming. Christians don't have to be fearful of what's coming in 2021. If we are firmly rooted in the idea that God is absolutely sovereign, Okay. The, uh, the rise and fall of kingdoms, disease, war, poverty, wealth, freedom, or slavery, even the weather are under his control, his domain. Earthquakes, wind, and rain, everything, everything in our world answers to the sovereignty of God, right? Even COVID-19 answers to the sovereignty of God, okay? Life and death answer to the sovereignty of God, okay? Okay. Uh, the, the, the winner of the presidential election answers to the sovereignty of God, okay? Um, um, assuming at this point that Joe Biden is sworn in as president in a couple of weeks, you know what that means? God ordained that he be sworn in as president. And that means that God is completely in control, that God hasn't lost control of anything, okay? Uh, God is not just in control when, when Republicans are president, right? Or when they control the houses of Congress, right? God's in control when Democrats control those things. Oh, and by the way, God's in control if they one day abolish those things and we have an emperor over us. God is in control of that emperor, meaning nothing escapes his control. Nothing is outside of the realm of his control. He is completely sovereign. If we believe that, if we hold that as true in our hearts, this year shouldn't be a problem for us. There should be no fear in our hearts. You know why? Because the sovereign God, the good God, the good sovereign God is completely in, in control of this world right now that we're living in. Listen to Mark 4, 39 through 41. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? It's a question you could ask for us today, right? I see Christians talking about how fearful they are for this coming year. I see Christians talking about how worried they are about 2021 and the things that lie ahead. And I hear Jesus saying, Why are you so fearful? Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Are we worried today about this coming year? I think Jesus is saying to us, Why are you so afraid? Where is your fear? Right? Shouldn't we look at Christ... Instead of looking at COVID and saying, oh, how terrible this is. And by the way, it's it's terrible. I've had it, I can tell you. It's terrible. I've seen people die. I've known people who died from it. It's terrible, right? But rather than looking at COVID and saying, oh, how terrible this is, how about we look at Jesus and say, what, what manner of man is this that even the diseases obey him, right? Even the diseases obey him. The wind and the sea What manner of man is this that even the president and the Congress obey him? Whoa. Everything is subject to him. It goes back to the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28, all power is given to me. What does power mean? We've covered that before, right? It means authority, right? All authority is given to me in heaven, and that's it. You guys are on your own. No, right? In heaven and on earth. All authority, all power is given to him. That means if I lose my home this coming year, like some have, it's completely under his, his, he's got a plan. It's completely under his domain. If I lose my job, it's completely under his control. If I get COVID, right, I got it a couple of months ago. You know why? Because God decreed that I get it. I was perfectly safe within the knowledge that it was God's will that I have it. It was not God's will that I die from it. Uh, A couple of years ago now, my mom passed away. She passed away from a stroke. Do you know why she had the stroke? Because God decreed that she have the stroke. Do you know why she died September the 30th, 2018? Because God decreed that she would die September 30th, 2018. And the day that I die, I die because God has decreed that I die. And you know what? On that day, he'll be no less in control than he is this morning looking into 2021. 2021. How can I fear? Where is my faith if I'm fearing while God's in control? Find me a calamity in the Bible where God isn't in complete control. In the book of Jonah, we see the prophet swallowed by a big fish. We're told in Jonah 1.17 that God had prepared the big fish for the purpose of swallowing him. In fact, the fish was God's way of fulfilling his will in Jonah's life. He hadn't lost control when Jonah was swallowed by the big fish. When Joseph was sold into slavery, God had a plan, Genesis chapter 50. When the Assyrians invaded and destroyed Jerusalem, God was directing the armies, Isaiah 10. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the furnace of fire, God walked in there with them, Daniel chapter 3. When Daniel was thrown into a den of lions, God shut their mouths, Daniel chapter 6. At no time did any of them stop and say, oh my goodness, God has lost control. What am I going to do now? Right? They trusted. They believed, right? And we have more cause to believe in the sovereignty of God than they did. You know why? Because we have the whole Bible. We have their stories. We have the whole story. They didn't have any of that stuff. They didn't have that stuff at all. Joseph didn't even have the books of Moses. He lived before Moses. Yet he trusted God. Why are we so fearful coming into this year? Even at the crucifixion of Jesus, when the evil of mankind reached its zenith, as they in anger and hatred murdered the God-man, even there they only did that which God determined to be done. Acts 4.25, listen to this. Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Even at the crucifixion of Jesus, God had not lost control. Turn over to Job chapter 1. Briefly, we'll come back to Psalm 46. Job chapter 1. If you think we've had a bad year in America in 2020, then we need to plant ourselves here for a minute. Uh, I'm not going to read the entire chapter, so let me recap it as you turn there. In a short space of time, Job lost 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He lost seven sons and three daughters. Now, the importance of losing the livestock is, in that world, that was money, right? That was income. It's like saying he lost all of his bank accounts and his house and his car and his job, oh, and his kids too, okay? We know the story of how it happened, but I want to look a little little bit more closely at it. Look at verse six. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it, and the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth now, or thy hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face." And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. We recognize that Satan did these things to Job, right? We recognize that. But the more uncomfortable truth that we need to come to terms with this morning is that God put Satan up to it. The text doesn't say that Satan went walking up and down the earth and comes back to God. And so I saw Job and I think he only fears you for naught, right? Satan comes to God and God's like, where have you been? He goes, I've been walking around in the earth. And God goes, oh, have you considered my servant Job? It was God that brought Job into the picture, not Satan. God brought him up. God told Satan to take away all those blessings, even putting limits on Satan's power. He said in verse 12 that he could touch all that Job had, even the lives of his children, but Satan couldn't touch Job himself. God was in complete control of all that Satan was doing. As Job suffered all of that loss, seemingly in a very short amount of time, it'd be easy for him to be fearful, wouldn't it? It'd be fe- easy for him to, to lose faith, to lose confidence in God. It'd be easy for him to blame God. It'd be easy for him to look at his circumstances and say, what a terrible year this has been. This is horrible. Right? To bellyache and complain? What's Job's initial response to these tragedies? Read verses 20 and 21. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshiped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. His first instinct was to worship. And bless the name of the Lord, even in the midst of loss. And by the way, loss that he didn't understand, right? We're we're outside observers, right, in the story. So we know the conversation in heaven. He didn't know that. He had no clue. All he knew was everything he had and loved and cherished was gone. All he knew that he was the richest man in the East to the poorest man in the East, <clears throat> that's all he knew. That's that's the whole story from his perspective. And what did he do? What's his first response? Fall down on the ground, worship, and bless the name of the Lord. What's our response here in 2021? Typically, I, I'm guilty of this too, to belly and complain. Talk about how terrible. Right? Whichever side you're on politically. One side's like, oh, those Republicans and Donald Trump, they were terrible in this whole thing. The other side's all oh, these Democrats, they're terrible in this thing. Right? And we're complaining, we're fighting, and bickering back and forth, and we're laying blame, right? Our first instinct wasn't to worship in the blessed name of the Lord, was it? Our first instinct was to grumble and complain. That was in 2020. What's our what's our instinct to be in 2021? Let me encourage you this year, whatever comes to us, don't grumble and complain. Worship and bless the name of the Lord. You know why? Because everything that comes to us, we can be sure, comes to us from the hand of God. And he has not lost control. This world is not out of control. It's not out of control. Job wasn't in denial about his problems. Look at Job chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. He wasn't in denial about what was going on. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity, curse God, and die? But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we, shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did Job did not Job sin with his lips. Not only was his first instinct to fall down and to worship and to bless the name of the Lord you say, well, he, just, he didn't know what was going on. He didn't know that God had directed Satan. No, no. He knew where all this was coming from. He said, shall we receive good from the hand of God and not receive bad? That's what he's saying. In other words, he's saying all of this came to me from the hand of God, and I'm still not going to curse him. You know why? Because I've received so much good from him, I can receive some bad too. When I said that this wasn't the worst year in history, <clears throat> but it could be the, last, the worst year in the last 39 years, That tells me that for the last 39 years, I have received nothing but good from the hand of the Lord. Right? It's true. I've received nothing but good from the hand of the Lord. If this is the worst year that I've ever had, I've received a lot of good. Should I not receive bad as well? Is he wrong for mixing in the bad with the good? Does it all have to be blessings and roses and flowers for me? No. I'm not entitled to that. I'm not entitled to a life of ease and perfection. So you say, well, if you're saying God's behind all this that's going on in our country, then he must be bad. No. He's given me nothing but good for 39 years. Nothing but good for 39 years. We tend to acknowledge these truths because they're in the Bible, but then we have our own problems, we grumble and complain about them. Right? We acknowledge what Job said. It all came from the hand of God. because We know, the, we know the, the whole backstory. But he didn't. But when we have our own problems, we say, oh, this is ridiculous. Why? Why is it so... Somebody at work the other day were talking. And they said, uh, this has been a ridiculous year. And I thought about it. I said, why has it been so ridiculous? To have 30, well, 38 good years of life. 38 years of blessing, of health, of prosperity. And to have one bad year come along? I'm going to give up? Throw in the towel? Blame God? Are you kidding me? No. So what do we do in 2021 if it's much of the same? We worship. We bless the name of the Lord. And when someone comes to saying, well, where's your God now? Look at all the trouble in the world. Say, should we receive good from the hand of the Lord, not receive bad? Right? Is God required to bless us all the time? Maybe the suffering we're going through now is a blessing. You know, suffering does lead to blessing. Remember when David sinned and a number of the troops? And God said that the punishment, some 70,000 people were killed in the punishment. But in that terrible time, what did David do? He bought the threshing floor of the Jebusite, which became the Temple Mount. Terrible suffering, but great blessing came from it, didn't it? Great blessing. How about the uh, the 400 years in, in Egyptian slavery for the Hebrew people? Terrible time. Terrible, terrible time. But out of it came great blessing, didn't it? Came great blessing. COVID has come to us from the hand of the Lord. It has come to us from the hand of the Lord. Government overreach has come to us from the hand of the Lord. I'm not saying we don't speak out against injustice, but we need to stop pretending that we have the right to complain about our circumstances when Job, who had much worse circumstances, fell on the ground and worshipped and blessed the name of the Lord. We need to stop pretending, okay, that we have a right to complain about God, who's given us nothing but good for most of our lifetimes if we have a bad year. How should we respond to COVID, to lockdowns, to mask mandates, to stay-at-home orders? Well, we should worship and bless the name of the Lord. When the question comes into your mind, how can God allow this to happen? Answer with the words of Job, shall we receive good from the hand of the Lord and shall we not receive evil at all? Listen to Isaac Watts. I love this hymn. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb, or shall I uh, fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? In the name, the precious name of him who died for me, through grace I'll win the promised crown, whatever my cross may be. The problem with American Christianity is we become accustomed to not having a cross, right? Our cross is if somebody slams the door in our face when we're out door knocking. That's our cross, right? Or we witness and somebody says, no, we don't want to hear about that. That's our cross, right? Are we free from bearing a cross in this country? Are we allowed to go to our graves and not suffer at all for the name of Jesus? Then let's stop complaining about what's going on out here. You know why? It comes to us from the hand of God. And suffering only means to purify and to cleanse us, never to hurt us. Whatever whatever my cross may be, must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease, While others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? Since I must fight if I would reign, increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy word. The problem is, we want to be carried to the sky on flowery beds of ease, don't we? And so when things go a little wrong, right, when our government overreaches a little bit, when a disease comes that terrifies us, right, when our economy crashes, what do we say? Oh no, this is we gotta complain, we gotta, we gotta gripe and grumble and fight. And our first instinct isn't to bear the cross the Lord has brought to us. Is there no cross for us? If we practice Paul's admonition to give thanks for everything, 1 Thessalonians 5:18, we would be a happier people even in trying and difficult times. Have you tried giving thanks for COVID? Honest question. Ask yourself. Have you tried giving thanks for government overreach? Have you tried giving thanks for the lockdowns? Have you tried giving thanks for the bad circumstances? When Paul says in everything give thanks, he didn't didn't have a list of exclusions to that everything. We should be thankful for all the Lord is doing, even if we don't fully understand what he's doing right now in the moment. We should be thankful I'm not trying to minimize the problems we faced last year and continue to face this year. I'm simply saying that our response should be biblically grounded and that this is the key to contentment in the midst of turbulent times. Our response to COVID and to lockdowns and to mask mandates has to be above all a biblical response. If you're responding like your unsaved friends are responding, there's a problem, right? If you're responding like Fox News is responding, there's a problem, right? If you're responding like talk radio is responding, there's a problem. Because their worldview isn't biblically based. Ours is. We should be and look and sound different in these times than everybody else around us. We can agree with them on certain issues, but our response should be wholly and entirely different than theirs. With this in mind, let's turn back to Psalm 46 and get into our text. Psalm 46. This was Martin Luther's favorite psalm. It inspired his hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. The psalm can be divided into three sections. Each section ends with a call for meditation and thought, which is what Selah means. The first section, verses 1-3, through tells us that God is our refuge even if the world falls apart. The second section, verses four through seven, tells us that the heathen rage outside, but we are assured that God is present inside. And the last section, verses eight through eleven, tell us that God will establish peace on the earth. I felt this was a good psalm to start our year. So let's walk through the passage verse by verse and make application. Verse one: God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Uh, God is our refuge and strength. A refuge is a place you go for safety and protection, right? The world runs to wealth, beauty, fame, sex, friends, and possessions for refuge. But what happens when the wealth loses value, the beauty fades, the friends abandon you, and the possessions you, uh, you have are stolen or destroyed? The Lord is a sure refuge, he neither grows tired nor loses interest in his people. Psalm 121.4 says, Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Isaiah 40.28, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. God doesn't sleep, he doesn't grow tired. He's always on the job, he is governing this world down to the very atoms in this world, he governs everything. Excuse me, my throat's kinda dry. Everything. The planets stay in, in, in 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 their courses in the sky because he keeps them there. The moon stays where it is because he keeps it there. The sun rises every day because he brings it up over us every day. I have a job or you have a job if you have one because God has decreed for you to have one. You have good health because God has decreed for you to have good health. If you're suffering health today, God has decreed that too and there's a reason, there's a purpose. It's hard to see, I understand that. Brother Tim, there's a reason your wife is dying today. God has a purpose, he hasn't lost control. He hasn't seated his authority. He's not trying to fix something that's broken and he can't figure out quite how to make it work. He's in complete control. Know that. Hold on to that. He is doing something on purpose in her life and in your life. The same for all of us. All of us. He never grows tired. He never loses interest. He's always on the job. He should be our refuge. C.S. Lewis said... Don't let your happiness depend on something you may lose. In other words, don't find your refuge in something that can be lost. Find it in Christ. The Christian is called not to make the world and its elements our refuge, but to find safety and protection in God. Deuteronomy thirty-three twenty-seven says, The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee and shall say, destroy them. The eternal God is thy refuge. That was written to the Jews from Moses, but it applies to us today. All who have fled to Christ for refuge, he is our refuge. He's our safety. He's our hope. It's not in this world. If your hope is in the economy, it's going to crash, right? If it's in a political party, it can be destroyed, You know, today we have Republicans and Democrats as the primary party, but when this country first started, neither one of them existed. And those parties that did exist, don't exist anymore. What does that tell you? Don't make politics your refuge. Don't, don't make the president your refuge. You know why? Because presidents lose elections, right? They die. Don't even make your spouse or your children your refuge because they can be gone in a second. Your house can burn down. Your job can be lost. Nothing in this world is a refuge for the believer like the eternal God. And underneath are the everlasting arms. He's always there for us. Psalm 91 verses 1 and 2 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I can think of no safer place to be than the shadow of the Almighty God. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him will I trust. Not only is God our refuge, but our strength. We don't fight in the same way the world fights, do we? We fight with spiritual weapons. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh... We do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Our weapons are spiritual, not physical. Our battle is not against the physical. It's against the spiritual. It's against those things that are working behind the scenes, the things that we can't see, that influence the things around us. I'm preaching probably to a largely Republican room today. So let me encourage you as we approach the inauguration day. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are not our enemy. There are spiritual powers working maybe in what they do and behind them. But they are lost souls who need to be saved. If we view them as our enemy, we won't view them as someone we need, who needs to be saved. You can't. You cannot have an enemy and simultaneously have compassion on them, right? When you have an enemy, you fight the enemy. They're not the enemy. It's stuff, it's this world system that works behind them that's our enemy. So pray for them. Show them love. Feel love for them. The same thing goes for Donald Trump. He's not a Christian either. He needs to be saved. He needs to be saved. Our congressmen need to be saved, many of them. Many of those who are Christians need to be emboldened to stand up and do what is right. They need prayer. They need prayer. Our weapons are not the same as the world's weapons. They're not. We have more powerful weapons. We have spiritual weapons. And besides that, a sovereign God who has complete authority in heaven and earth. The context Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians was talking about the way we battle in this world. We don't battle the government overreach with guns like the heathen do, but through prayer and the preaching of the gospel. We put forth truth to combat error, but we never try to advance our side by speaking lies or wrong. Never. So according to Psalm 46, verse 1, God is both our shield for protection and our sword for battle. Verse 2. Therefore, will we not fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea? The mountains here speak of nations, as we see in other places, like Jeremiah fifty-one twenty-five, concerning Babylon, and Matthew twenty-one twenty-one, concerning Jerusalem. Even our government, if our government falls apart, right? Even if our government falls apart, or this supposed great reset is true, we as Christians shouldn't fear. We shouldn't. We live in a day of great political upheaval, don't we? The worst of my lifetime. I mean, it's it's bad. We may in our lifetime see the end of the American government. We may see the end of Congress. We may see the end of, of, of presidential. We may we may one day end up with just one leader that we have for the rest of our lives who's oppressive. What what does that mean? What what does that mean for us? Well, this verse, Therefore will we not fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. That's symbolic language speaking of governments. It's not talking about the earth, the earth isn't going to just disappear and blow up. It's talking about governments, it's talking about civil authority. If it's removed and cast into the sea, it says, therefore will we not fear. Why? Why? Why would we not fear? Well, therefore refers back to the last verse, right? God is our safety, right? And our sword. I think I'm quoting it wrong. Uh, um, God is our refuge and our strength. If God is our refuge and our strength, we're not going to fear even if our government collapses around us. There's no fear. There's no fear. Because the unchanging God is our refuge, according to verse number one. Verse number three. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah, this language speaks of circumstances that would cause fear and panic in the heart of man. None of these things should move the people of God who find their refuge in the shadow of the Almighty. Luke twenty one twenty five says, And there shall be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. With the language of Psalm 46, I think the destruction of Jerusalem is in view. Those who found refuge in Christ wouldn't be moved by the distress coming, but there is an application for us as well, okay? An application for us as well. In, in Luke 21, he's talking about men's hearts failing them for fear of the things going on around them, right? That's, what they're, that's the fear that he's talking about. The, things, the distress of nations and all these things going on would cause fear and cause men's hearts to fail. And verse 3 of Psalm 46, though the waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. What? Back to verse 2. We're not going to fear. Why? Back to verse 1. God is our refuge and our strength. If we're planted firmly in Christ as our refuge and our strength, we don't fear, even if our government falls apart. And as we see the waves roaring, right, and as we see the mountains shaking, as we see all the trouble going on in the world around us, that should never lead us to fear if God is our refuge. Verse 4. Actually, let me go back to verse 3. Then we see the word selah, that first selah, that means stop and meditate on that. Stop and meditate on that. Think that through. If God is our refuge and strength, we're not going to fear if our government's destroyed and with all the perplexity and all the trouble going on in the world around us, we're still firmly planted in our refuge and our strength over here. Think about that during these times. Think about that. Verse 4, there is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. The river is probably a reference to the Holy Spirit and is definitely a reference to the presence of God. The Spirit is spoken of as a river in John chapter 7, verse 38 and 39. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorifying. There is a river, verse 4 says, the streams of which shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. Now, we don't have a tabernacle, right? We don't have the, we're not We're not in the, the old Jerusalem, the city of God, but we do have a church today, right? And the church is the kingdom of God, right? This is the temple today, is it not? The Bible in the New Testament speaks of us being a living temple, right? Some stones for God's dwelling place. We are, let's just say for now, we are God's kingdom. We are God's city on earth. The stream. The river makes glad the city of God. The Holy Spirit within us should make us a glad and thankful people in this place right here, in this building. You know why? Because the people in this building make God their refuge and their strength. That's why. We shouldn't be a distressed or perplexed people. We should be a glad and happy and trusting people. Verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. Of course, this refers back to chapter 4, right? The stream that runs through the city of God and makes it glad. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit in this place. This is where God dwells. He dwells with us. I say He dwells in us individually. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that when you're not in this building, God's not with you. What I'm saying is that when we're gathered in this place here, there shouldn't be fear. There shouldn't be distress. There shouldn't be anxiety. All there should be is trust and hope and gladness because God is in the midst of us. He's in the midst of us. God dwells among his people in the midst of the church. We see this depicted in Revelation 1.13 where Christ is walking in the middle of the candlesticks, which represent the churches. Christ identifies with us. We see this when Saul is confronted by Christ on the road to Damascus in Acts 9-4, right? He comes to Saul, he says, why are you persecuting me? Now, had Saul done anything to Jesus physically, right? No. He was killing the Christians, He was imprisoning God's people. But when God confronted him on it, he says, why are you persecuting me? What you do to them, you do to me. He identified with his people in their suffering and said, it's not just them you're attacking. It's me personally you're attacking. He's in the midst of his church speaking to her. He knows what we're going through and sympathizes with our sorrows. Don't forget Christ was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, Isaiah 53 3. He faced isolation, loneliness, and unjust government overreach, just like we're facing now. How did he respond? 1 Peter 2, 21 and 23. For even here in 2 were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously." When Christ was facing government overreach with Pilate, you know what he did? He committed himself to God, the righteous judge. Oh, and by the way, Pilate, Jesus said, had no authority over him at all except what was granted him from above. Okay? So it's, it's okay to speak up against the injustice of our government. But as they, as they overreach, as they unfairly attack their citizens, what we need to remember is they have no power at all except what's given to them from above. None. So when we submit to the government, we're submitting to God who has the authority and who judges righteously. In John 1911, when Jesus said that to Pilate, he recognized the same thing that Job did. Pilate couldn't do anything to Christ except what God had ordained, and God held all of the power, not Pilate. Job understood that he was receiving these evil things from the Lord because God, not Satan, held the true power. Our government, even when they are violating our Constitution, only have power as they receive it from heaven. God, not Governor Newsom, has authority. God, not President Trump, has authority. Uh, God, not the U.S. Congress, has ultimate authority. God is not an outside observer uh, observing our persecution and our loneliness at being isolated at home. He's not an outside observer observing our suffering if we contract COVID. He's in the midst of us. They're persecuting him by persecuting us. He can comfort the lonely since he himself has been lonely. He can sympathize with our physical pain, having suffered physical pain. It's interesting as a side note that when you die from COVID, as best I've heard, it's a death of suffocation. That's what I've heard. It's a horrendous death of suffocation, which is the same way they died during crucifixion. So even if we die from COVID, Christ has walked that road before us. He's died the exact same kind of death we would die in that situation. That means there's literally nothing that can come before us this year that God himself has no power over, first of all, and secondly, hasn't been through himself. Hasn't been through himself. Whatever happens in 2021, he is here among us, not as an observer, but as a participant with us. The stream, the presence of God is in the midst of us makes glad the people of God, the city of God. Why? Because God is here with us. He's not outside of our problems looking at us, hoping we make the best use of our of our situation. He is right here. He's right here. When the government overreaches to attack us, they're attacking him. When we're sick, he feels our pain. He sympathizes with us. He's been there too. When our frail bodies break down, your wife is approaching death, Brother Tim, but you know what? Jesus approached it and went through it. And what gives him hope is that Jesus went through it and then came back again. That is the hope. Nothing in 2021 can ever harm us because Jesus has died and risen from the dead. And all authority is given to him. And he's here with us in 2021. By the way, we may have lost sight of it, but he was here with us in 2020 as well. We should be a glad people, a glad people. Verses 6 and 7, the heathen raged, the kingdoms removed, he uttered his voice, the earth melted, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. The heathen raged, there is the persecution, the kingdoms removed, there is a distress in society and government becoming unraveled, and where is God according to verse 7? He's with us, he's our refuge. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge. Then we see Selah, meditate on that, think about that. As persecution comes, as kingdoms are moved, as distress rises rise, in society, where is the God of Jacob? He's with us. He's our refuge. Think about that. Verses 8 and 9. Come, behold, the works of the Lord. What desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh the war decease under the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cuteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariots in the fire. What he's saying here is that all the upheaval is the work of the Lord. He is behind it all but he's not doing random things. He's working a plan, okay? COVID and government overreach, those are our two biggest problems right now, right? God is behind both of them, but he's not doing random things to hurt us. He's working and weaving a plan that we just yet don't understand. What does that mean? We gotta trust him. We gotta find our refuge in him, not in the circumstances around us. He has a goal in mind for all of this. If there is a great reset going on and elites are reorganizing the world for their own profit and control, they're not doing it apart from God. Their authority only goes as far as he allows. He makes the rules and sets the boundaries as we saw in Job chapter 1. They're working for their own control and gain, but they're secretly working unbeknownst to them for God. He has a plan in all that they do. We see examples of this in, the, in events like the death of Jesus, don't we? Right? In fact, the Bible says that if they knew what they were doing, they wouldn't have done it. They thought they were working to, to, to destroy the God-man, but they were actually giving him all power and all authority. They thought that they would kill him and go on in their sin, and they were actually bringing about the redemption of sins. We see it in the act of selling Joseph into slavery. They thought they were in control and working for their own evil ends, but don't forget what Joseph said to them in in Genesis 50, verse 20. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. When they were selling Joseph into slavery, God was in complete control and working a plan to save his people from famine. To save the known world, really, from famine when he was uh, falsely accused by Potiphar and thrown into the dungeon, right? God was in complete control of that, working a plan to bring him to the palace. What I'm saying is God is never out of control. Never. We see it in the conquering of Alexander the Great. He thought he was conquering the world to satisfy himself, but what he ended up doing was spreading around the Greek language at just the right time, just before the birth of Christ, so that as the Bible was written and translated, it could be spread across the world in a way that never it never could have been done before. Spreading the gospel wasn't Alexander the Great's plan, was it? No. He was just conquering for his own gain. He was conquering for himself. But he was working with God in complete control of what he was doing. So verse 9, the, the or verses 8 and 9, God is the one that's causing all the upheaval. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Christ will be exalted in the earth. All that is happening is being carefully guided by the hand of God in order that at the right time he will bring about his own exaltation in the world, in the earth. He will triumph over the heathen at last. Psalm 110, verses 1 and 2 says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. This is the the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So the world seems out of control, doesn't it? The government seems out of control, doesn't it? Everything seems out of control right now. COVID, the government lockdowns, the economy on a tailspin. But you know what's going to happen? Well, first of all, let me say, with all that in mind, God is causing all that upheaval. He's in control of it. Why? Because He will be exalted in the earth. This is why we don't need to fear. This is why we take refuge in God, because He will be exalted. Okay? They're not going to win. They're not going to win. It's it's not going to work. I don't care what they they're. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not up here spouting conspiracy theories. I don't know what's going on in our world, but whatever it is, they're not going to win because Christ will be exalted in the earth, and everything He's doing, He's doing, to bring about that exaltation. It's kind of like a a parallel to Romans chapter eight, right? Remember, if you were at my mom's funeral, I I quoted this verse. I I preached from this verse really. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, right? And this is for those whom he did foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And that's so important, right? Because we love 828, don't we? We know that all things work together for good to those who love God. We love that verse. But we need to come to terms with the fact that verse 29, the plan of God is to convert, is to, to, not convert us, is to... um, for those who think predestined, he has to conform us to the image. I couldn't think of the word. His plan is to conform us to the image of his son. And that's why all things work together for good to those who love God, because all things that happen to us are working to conform us more to the image of Christ, right? And so we can look in this passage and see that God's causing all this upheaval in the world. And he says, don't be afraid. He say, how can I not be afraid? Easy. He's bringing about his own exaltation. He's, he has an end game in mind. Everything he's doing in our world is to exalt himself in the due time. The heathen can rage, the great resets can take place, but in the end, Christ will be exalted in the earth. We should never be driven to hopelessness or fear as the unsaved are. We who find our refuge in the Holy One of Israel, he will be exalted. So with all this in mind, how do we face 2021 with all of the uncertainty in the world right now? A deadly virus, constitutional upheaval, heavy-handed persecution against churches. How can we go into this unknown new year with joy and gladness? Verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. We go into it with the knowledge that the Lord of hosts is with us. He's not an outside observer. He's a partaker of our sufferings. He's in the midst of us. He's not outside of us. He's not helping from the sidelines. He's in the fight with us. He identifies with us in sickness, in death, in hardship, in government overreach. He is identifying himself with us. He is suffering with us. They're persecuting him as well as us. There's no road that will be presented to us in 2021, death included, that he has not traveled first ahead of us. And then he comes alongside us in our journey along that road. The God of Jacob must be our refuge. We cannot seek our safety or refuge in the same place the world finds theirs. They find nothing but turmoil and heartache. But our refuge or our safe place is in the shadow of the God of Jacob. The same God who walked in the garden, who burned in the bush, who parted the Red Sea, who walked in Galilee, who died on the cross, who rose from the grave, that same God is our refuge. This year, hold fast to him. Find refuge in him. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Now, Selah. Let's meditate on those things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. I appreciate your word. I hope I communicated it well. Thank you so much for the promise that the God of Jacob is our refuge. As trouble comes our way, our first response should be to fall down into worship and bless the name of the Lord. We've received so much good from you in our lifetimes, Lord. We can take a little bit of the bad. Especially knowing that the bad actually conforms us to the image of Christ and makes us a people fit for you. I want to encourage our church this morning, coming into the new year, Lord, that you're our refuge and our strength. We fight through you and we hide in you. That yes, you're behind the upheaval in the world, but you're bringing about your own exaltation. You will be glorified in the earth. The nations will flock to you. They will praise your name. You have received a kingdom that will never be destroyed, that crushes all other Kingdoms. You are the eternal God reigning. You're in complete control. All authority in heaven and earth is given to you. The devils obey you as well as the angels. The heathen work under your bidding the same as your people do. Nothing happens in this world but that you have ordered it to happen. And you have a purpose in it. You have a purpose in it. I think the main thing I wanted to, get to communicate today, Lord, was that you're not an outside observer. You're not outside of our problems looking in. You're in here with us. You walk the road before us, and then you come alongside us in our sufferings. Be it sickness, death, government overreach, whatever we face, If we lose our homes and our jobs, we can know that foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of God had nowhere to lay his head. Nothing we can experience, nothing this year, is outside of your control. And no road we travel, but roads that have been traveled by you first. And you come alongside us in our sufferings. You're in the midst of your church, making glad the people of God. How can we be glad in such trying times? Because the God of Jacob is our refuge and our strength. Help us, Lord, if we're discouraged about this coming year, help us to gain new insight, Lord, to encourage our hearts during this 2021, Lord. Help us to not fear, help us to not worry. Help us to not complain. Help us to fall and worship and bless the name of the Lord in 2021. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Moments in the Word. Lighthouse Gospel Ministries is an outreach ministry focused in street and prison evangelism, as well as reaching the needy with hope and help. To partner with us financially, go to gospelbeacon.org. All donations are tax-deductible. We hope you were blessed and hope you will join us again for Moments in the Word.